following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning, again. I have a little bit of a bronchitis that's leaving me, so excuse me as I manage that. I have the the great joy, if it can be considered that, to uh, bring you the word today from Luke. We are headed back into Luke now after the holiday season, and we'll be in Luke again until after Easter. And so buckle down. Now's the time to read all your commentaries on Luke that you have stored away. You can dust them off again, bring them back out, and, uh, and brush up. Today I get to bring to you uh, the story of Jude. Or sorry, Judas. Not Jude. Judas. Um, Judas is, a, is, an interesting, is an interesting character in Scripture. Um, he brings up the, the very interesting topic of betrayal. And betrayal is one of those things that we don't quite know what to do with. How do we define betrayal? Certainly, if, if I said something uh, maybe mean to my wife, she probably wouldn't look at me and say, you've betrayed me, right? That's maybe a little bit too far. Maybe even if I told a lie, well, it's, betrayal is something that is, is the desecration of a, of a covenant relationship, right? If I betray you, I have taken what is sacred in our relationship and I've stomped all over it. I've made it worthless. I've taken our covenant and I've reduced its worth to nothing. Well, Judas betrayed Jesus. And we're going to read today about exactly how that took place and dig into that and, uh, and find out really what, what lessons are there to learn in this. So please join me in Luke chapter 22. We're going to just do the first six verses today. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was pleasant, present, pleasant, present, maybe a little bit of both. The setting for this is, is, is an interesting setting. This is a key time of the year and there, everybody is getting together in the city to celebrate Passover, Passover being the big feast where we celebrate the passing over of the angel that did not kill all the firstborn of Israel. And then they were released Right from Egypt, so there was a lot to celebrate, and so this was a huge conglomeration of the Jews getting together to say that that we are proclaiming our faith together, we are worshiping, we are celebrating, and, and they would generally come to the city for that. Well, this created an interesting circumstance for the chief leaders and and the the teachers in that circumstance because they had been scheming for a long time to be able to take down Jesus, to be able to destroy him, to destroy his ministry. But the problem is, is he had become far too popular. And not only has he become far too popular, but all the people he's popular with have now converged on one place, one location. And the chief leaders dedicated to getting rid of him saw this as a potential riot, as potential unrest. If they were to take Jesus in a public place, 
with lots of witnesses, they risked a lot of death. They risked a lot of injury. They risked unrest. And they risked, as a government, being overthrown in their power. We already know that they were somewhat powerless because they already could not enact what they wanted to do to Jesus. So they're looking at the situation and thinking, we're, we're already powerless. If we were to do something now and it be a public spectacle, we would be made even further powerless. The people would rise against us. And so they were fearful of what the people would do. Well, this, this piece of the puzzle actually went on for quite some time and made it pretty much impossible for them to, to destroy Jesus as they, they had intended to. Because there were always followers of his around him, people that would be willing to die for him. So they schemed and they found Judas. And Judas, being taken by Satan, being overtaken, being possessed uh, by him, was motivated for some reason, it doesn't even explicitly say, to go and to betray Jesus. Judas being one of his intergroup, one of the disciples, one of those that he felt he could trust. He didn't, he didn't just scheme to lie to Jesus or to lose his nerve when he was asked about his faith. He, he schemed to betray him, to take the covenant relationship that they had valued so much that Jesus had entrusted him with and to make that worthless. This type of betrayal is probably one of the more extreme versions of, of betrayal listed out in Scripture. But as we read this, we find a lot of parallels between Judas and his actions and our actions on a regular basis. Now, it's important to notice that Jesus was not unaware of this circumstance. He he didn't show up thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in the garden today. I guess I'll just pray and everything is going to be fine. No, he knew that Judas was betraying him. He made that very, very clear in Luke chapter 22. Later in the chapter, he said, somebody at this table, somebody with their hand on the table will betray me. He knew it was coming, and he walked graciously into that destiny because it had been set before him, and it had been made clear to him by his heavenly Father that that was the path that he wanted him to walk. Jesus was not caught unawares. And in that same way, we are not caught unaware. We know that the world is here to betray us. It has been written out in Scripture. It has been made clear to us that the world will hate us that we will stumble, that we will fall, that we will be betrayed, and that we will betray others. We know going into every situation of life that there is potential betrayal waiting for us. We have been warned. Jesus knew. And he acted in a very interesting way. What happens in your life if you know betrayal is just beyond the horizon? Do you continue walking down that path in To the betrayal? In my experience, as soon as I know betrayal is coming, I I do my best to avoid it. Right? We 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 lay groundwork in our marriages and our relationships so that if we sense betrayal coming, we can put up walls, we can guard ourselves, we can run away. Jesus did not do that. Jesus saw the betrayal coming to him, and he walked faithfully directly into it. He predicted it. And then he walked into it. This is not a secret. And it's not a secret in our lives either that we will be betrayed. And we will betray others. Jesus was also warming up in his ministry and and coming to a point where it was time to start moving towards the cross. 
it was time to start putting things in action. Things had been in preparation for quite some time. To some parts of Israel, he was extremely unpopular. Some parts of Israel, he was extremely popular. But there, there was enough chaos that he had generated that it, it was time to now make good on his promise. The promise that he had been sent for to die for mankind. And this really can be seen as, as one of the first steps that he takes into actively walking into the betrayal that will lead to his inevitable death. For our sins. He knew the end results. And this is where it really begins. It's important to also notice in this context that this is not new for the leaders of this time. The leaders of this time had been scheming for a long time to kill Jesus. And they had not been able to. He was untouchable until Judas, the, the linchpin in the system, decided it was time to betray Jesus. It's interesting that they don't actually detail why Judas chose to, do, to allow Satan into his life in this way. They just say that he was overcome by Satan, that Satan went into him. And it, it doesn't actually say. And as, as I was reading, I started to wonder if, if really the reason mattered, right? Because a lot of times in our lives, we want to be able to justify, well, I betrayed them because I lied to them because I did this because I'm justified. I did this. They hurt me first. They betrayed me first. And in, Ju- in, in Luke, for whatever reason, they intentionally leave out the reasoning. And so to me, the message that, that sends is the reason wasn't important. The fact of the matter is, is that Judas decided it was time for him to betray Jesus. And that therein lies the sin, and the sin is no further justified by Judas's motivation. The fact of the matter is, he was intent on betraying Jesus. The reason we betray others does not matter. What matters is that we betray others. We cannot justify our sins by the things that led up to the betrayal that we committed. And in this, Luke makes an obvious statement by leaving that out of the picture. The fact of the matter is, is that we betray, and we have been betrayed, and in that is sin. At the end of this passage, I'll I'll give you a spoiler here. Jesus dies. He is betrayed. And ultimately, the message is, is that we are subject to the same betrayal apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we will be Judas. Apart from Christ, we are, are in a place in life, we, we have the human condition upon us that every one of us has the capacity to be a Judas. So this, by no means, is a sermon for the few or for those other than myself. This is a sermon for myself and for all of us as Christians that we are capable of terrible, terrible betrayal. We have that capacity. Sin is always betrayal. We like to distance ourselves a little bit from harsh words like betrayal, don't we? Right? If we we lie, we tell a little white lie, right? We put that word in front of it because it makes it sound okay. We, We love to distance ourselves from the harshness of sin. But the reality is that any sin is a betrayal. Any sin is a betrayal against God. We take the covenant relationship he has graciously extended to us with his life and we make it worthless with every sin, with every single one. 
we tell him that his dying on the cross was not good enough, that it was not enough of an action. We betray him with every sin. We don't just betray God, we betray ourselves. We have been created by a creator to love truth, to love things that are good, and when we betray others, we betray ourselves. We betray the truth that is in us. We also hurt other people. Betrayal is something that is not just located within your personal sphere. Me betraying my wife does not just betray her, it betrays all of us. Sin is something that is interlocked. And this is a great picture that we get from Judas. His betrayal affects thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people. Betrayal is always something that will affect the community. Sin is always something that will affect the community. As we look at the the seven deadly sins, just as an example, we have pride, greed, lust, envy, Gluttony, wrath, and sloth, or laziness. Those, those are called the deadly sins. Laziness, to me, as I am generally lazy, does not seem real deadly. Because I distance myself from the harshness and the reality of that sin. I distance myself from the pain of making the covenant that I have with Jesus Christ worthless. Because I I justify it by saying, well, everybody's a little bit lazy, right? Laziness is a sin. Greed is a sin. Lust is a sin. And every one of those have an impact on the people around me. Every one of those speak of the pride in my life. Judas could have picked any one of these. They, they, They definitely make a case that Judas did this because of greed. That's, that's the case that's kind of made, but a lot of scholars disagree as to whether that was actually the case. But, but they say that Judas took money, so we can make some sort of an assumption that he was greedy. Now, that doesn't by any means justify the betrayal, but it gives us a light into Judas's spirit. For 30 pieces of silver, he was happy to take the man that he had spent the last three years with, loving, cherishing, following praying with, and he was happy to just throw him to the wolves. This betrayal is a stark contrast to what we would call the betrayal of Peter. They're not in the same category, and we're going to go back and visit those two and the differences between those two. Judas's betrayal was extreme because it was complete and it was final, and there was no reconciliation at the end of it. Judas, for whatever reason, maybe greed, betrayed Jesus and thus betrayed all the people around him and betrayed those that had faith in Christ. Now, Jesus being sovereign, God being sovereign, was able to work through this, right? We know the end of the story. We know he dies on the cross. We know he raises from the dead, and we know that we are saved. And we have no idea what the story would look like if Judas wouldn't have betrayed Jesus. We don't get to make that assumption. We just know that he did. So we have to assume that Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew that this was going to be a part of the puzzle and that Judas actually played a part in our salvation. There's an interesting point in here and that our sin, though it hurts others, will not get in the way of God's work. God's work is transcendent of our sin. His plan 
can be accomplished. Now, we either have a choice to be part of that plan or not be part of that plan, and that's something that sin decides for us. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, we learn from this circumstance that Judas, one of the great betrayers of the New Testament, the one that kicked off Jesus' crucifixion because of his intense betrayal, was something intended to be used by Jesus. For me, there's actually a little bit of hope in that. Knowing that I am going to sin, knowing that I am going to fail, I take joy knowing that Jesus' plan of salvation will continue regardless of how terribly I live my life. That's not motivation or justification, by the way, to live your life poorly. But at the same time, it should give us some joy, some, some sense of reconciliation to know that there is hope no matter what mistakes we make. That Jesus can be bigger than that. That he is bigger than that. Betrayal is always a part of sin. Betrayal against God is always the product of our sin. There is no removing ourselves from the harshness of that reality. Other than what we have done as Christians to justify our lifestyles. In my past, I can think of many, many times where I have chosen to go against the will of God. And I tell you what, in the time, I never really put it in the, t- in the, in the context of, hey, you know, today I am going to willfully betray God. That, that's never been my mindset. And I, and I would guess, for most of us, we've learned to justify our sins other way, ways. That we're not generally putting ourselves in that context. But in this passage, it is clear The harshness of our sin is a betrayal against God. To me, that's impactful. To me, understanding the weight of my sin, I know should make an impact in my life. If I truly believed the weight of this betrayal, I would be convicted of my sin. And we get back to the sin of unbelief, the sin that we don't actually believe a lot of times that really we are sinning against God. We justify it in so many ways. And fortunately, God is great and he is good and he is sovereign and he is graceful and he saves us from that by extending his free grace to us. But that doesn't make it any less painful for him. We should know the levity of our sin. We should know that it is betrayal, that it is reducing a covenant to nothing. And that is harmful. Another thing that we learn in this is betrayal is relatively cheap. It's not one of those things we have to have great justification for. A lot of times it's a very, very selfish motivation. A lot of times it's a very simple motivation. Your, your, your lies don't have to be made up of, of a plot to save your family in order to be hurtful. They can be simply just you in a bad mood. You wanting what you want. You manipulating somebody else to get them to do what you want. Those are small things. We're talking about betrayal for the price of what you're going to do for the next hour for fun. The price is tiny. Judas was actually quite well paid for his betrayal. You wonder, would Judas have done it without the silver or for half the silver or for a third of the silver? Would he have done it for no silver? Our hearts are willing to part 
with our covenant relationship with Christ for very little. And that is a sad reality that we live in. Fortunately, that doesn't mean that life is hopeless. We have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope that he will reconcile us from destroying our covenant relationship with him for nothing. And that, that hope, that should be the saving component for us. That, that should be the part that, that motivates us. Because we have hope. Betrayal is cheap. I think of ways that I have betrayed people in my life. I look at even just my relationship with my son. How many times have I got angry with him and said things that I should not have said with it to him simply just because I wanted him to feel guilt? That was the cost of betrayal in my relationship with him. That was the cost of my betrayal in my relationship with Christ, was simply imposing guilt upon my son. That, that, that's, that's not a good trade, honestly. There's a lot of ways to, 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 to teach your kids that, that do glorify God. And we're not going to get into parenting because there's whole books on this. But at the same time, I know in my heart that there are times where even with my son, I have betrayed God simply just to parent, just to be a good husband, just to do my job properly, just to get out of an awkward circumstance or a conversation I didn't really want to be in. I'm willing to betray for very, very little. Reading this passage really made me sit down and reflect, what are we willing to to betray God for how little are we willing to be paid for that in churches a lot of times now it just looks like simply worship my way communion my way offering my way standing or sitting or greeting time or no greeting time Sunday school no Sunday school we're willing to betray pretty much anybody to get those things the way we want them to for my comfort I'm willing to betray God. I'm willing to betray the covenant relationship I have with him simply to be more comfortable when we worship because of what I'm used to. That is a small penance. We should, we, we should be convicted of that. To give up so much in return for so little is ludicrous. And yet we do it. If you were asked to give up your kids for 30 pieces of silver, would you do it? Well, no. Why? Because it would be a betrayal of your children. But at the same time, the sad thing is, is that there's, there's a range of cost differences between what betrayal we're, we're willing to take compensation for and what we're not. And Judas makes a stark contrast of this by taking the silver. But at the same time, you kind of wonder when you're reading it, was the silver even necessary? Or was it simply just something he was happy taking at the end? At the end, betrayal can only end one of two ways. Betrayal, because we're going to do it, right? We've already decided as humanity, we are going to betray because we are sinful. And if any of you get through a day without sinning or betraying, you're much better off than I am. But at the end, we know that we are going to betray. So the question is, is how is betrayal going to end for you? 
what is going to be the end result? Well, we have two stories here I want to look at real quick, and then let's, uh, let's see what the options are. First off, I want to dive in to Luke 22, 54 to 62. Then seizing him, they laid him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But then they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant saw a girl seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, somebody else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. At the end, we know because of Peter's life that he reconciles, that he betrays. He denies the very existence of his Savior. Well, you might say, well, that's not quite the same betrayal. Would you look at it as a betrayal if I denied the existence of my wife? That is a betrayal. It's a horrible betrayal. To choose to deny the existence of not just another human being, but your Savior is a betrayal. Yet Peter makes a different decision than Judas. What happens to Judas? Judas feels guilt. He feels as though he has harmed a pure man. He says that this man is without fault. He throws his money back at the teachers. They laugh at him. They scoff him. And Judas, instead of seeking reconciliation because he believes in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, he goes off and he hangs himself. Judas died in fear and death. That's not the death of a man that believes that Jesus Christ can save him from himself. Now, it it is widely debated back and forth whether Judas ultimately was a Christian or not. And there's a lot of things about salvation that come into that argument. We're not going to get into that argument. There are believers out there, people out there that honestly think that Judas's life with Jesus was a life saved and that he did end up in heaven. I disagree with that viewpoint. I disagree with that viewpoint because it's made clear. It says here that Judas was the spawn of Satan, that he was the manifestation of Satan in Jesus' life. I do think that in the end, Judas made the choice to die in fear and death. Whereas Peter made the choice to live reconciled in Christ's grace. I think it makes a big difference what choice we make with the betrayals that we commit. I'm not contending today at all that we are not going to betray. 
We are going to betray. I can't say that enough. We will betray. You will betray. I will betray. We will betray each other at some point in time. This is the way that the human Christian life works. The question is, is at the end of the day, do you believe in the, in the gracious reconciliation given to us by Christ our Savior that we will someday go and live in that grace? Or are you going to make the choice to die in fear and guilt? That's the choice that we're given. And it's no, it's no accident that Luke put, paired these two together. It's no accident. So the question for us as a body is where are we headed? Are we headed down a path reconciled? What happened to Peter when he was reconciled? He didn't just continue on with everyday hmm-ha life. He was zealous. It, conform, it, it changed Peter's life to the point where he was crucified upside down for his faith. Peter didn't just recover from his betrayal. He was changed by his betrayal. He was reconciled because of grace reaching down into him and telling him how much he was loved. He was reconciled by that glance that Jesus gave him and reminded him that he was going to make that betrayal. And Peter was mournful. It said he wept bitterly. If your betrayals do not reconcile you to a more zealous life of faith, there's only one other option. That means we're allowing our betrayals to drag us deeper into sin. Because that's what happens. One way or the other. We'll betray people for very little. At the end of the day, Satan does want to destroy us. I feel like a lot of times I forget that, honestly. In this, in this world that we live in, a lot of times, in, in my particular circumstance, you know, I, I don't have constant threats on my life for being a Christian. I didn't have to disown or be disowned um, at any point in time in my life. I, I, I live, honestly, a fairly sheltered life. I live a sheltered life from the, the true harshness of this world. And I forget that Satan wants to destroy me. And he wants to destroy you. He wants us all to end up like Judas. He wants us all to be pretenders, pretenders in the ranks, wolves in sheep's clothing. That's who Satan desires us to be. And we can either choose to go down that path to be one of the followers of Christ that eventually betrays him to the point of our death and guilt, or we can choose to be Peter and to be zealously renewed in our faith. I'd like to say that I don't know of many cases, but I'll tell you what, I haven't been here in Thailand very long. Eight years is actually very little time to actually accomplish anything in this country. But I've been here long enough to see a lot of people come and sit in these very pews and have their lives destroyed and their lives end like Judas. Missionaries, people of faith, godly people I respected that have sat in these very seats, proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then walked away from their families, betrayed everybody that they knew, and engaged a permanent life of sin. It happens. 
You are not exempt from that because you are in this community or this church or because you are missionaries. In fact, Satan wants your death even more because he knows that you have value to share the gospel with others that have not yet heard it. So he's going to work extra hard on us. We have a choice. We can either choose to be reconciled or not. The good news is, is we are not subject to this betrayal. We can resist it. We have been given the strength to resist this betrayal. It's obvious that God has given us the tools. What is not obvious is why we don't use them. We can be intimate with God by reading his word. We can be intimate with God by being in fellowship with other believers. We can be intimate with God by praying and having a communal relationship with him. Those things are clear. They're laid out in scripture. I would doubt that anybody in here would deny that those things are exist and were given to us for our health and our protection. The question is, is why don't I use them? Why don't we use them? Because we don't believe that betrayal can happen to us. And we don't believe that we are really capable of betraying our Savior. Because if we truly believed that and knew the scope of his love for us, we would have no choice but to be constantly abiding in Christ. To me, that's convicting. To me, that tells me I have a lifetime yet of learning why I don't protect myself. We've been given things in Scripture to deal with all the sins in our lives. When it comes to dealing with pride, we put ourselves below people. We humble ourselves. We serve. When it comes to greed, we give. When it comes to lust, we practice self-control. When it comes to envy, we encourage others. When it comes to gluttony, we fast and we beat our body into submission, telling it that it does not control us. When we deal with wrath, we show compassion. When we deal with laziness, we discipline ourselves to act. These things are all laid out in Scripture. We have them. At the end of the day, we have chosen to betray We know that's going to happen. That is a truth. It's laid out in Scripture. It happened with Adam, and it's going to continue happening. Don't delude yourself by thinking it won't happen to you. The question is, at the end, when you've completed your betrayal, will it end as Peter, or will it end as Judas? That's the choice that we have to make. Judas' betrayal is a cautionary tale that should ring true to us. I think a lot of people kind of avoid this passage because it's hard to identify with, because we just can't imagine being in that context, right? But it's clear in Scripture that we are all in that context, and that every decision we make every day is the difference between ending as Peter or Judas. And it's clear in this context with these people We are subject to this as well. Judas was one of the twelve. He wasn't just part of church. He was part of like the inner church, inside the church, inside the church, best friends with Jesus. And if he is capable of that type of betrayal, how much more am I capable of? Judas knew Christ. 
and yet was still capable of betraying him? How much more am I capable of? Somebody that is not protected properly. Somebody that sins. Somebody that struggles. Somebody that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where I can give him a hug and pray with him. Somebody that that often feels distant from Jesus Christ that's constantly struggling. I'm constantly struggling for closeness with Christ. I pray that we're all struggling for that. Because I think what happens is as soon as we give up that struggle, as soon as we remove ourselves from that context, we find ourselves in a place where Judas can happen. And so I encourage you today as the body of believers, as as Christians, as people that proclaim Jesus Christ as your Savior, to walk away from this place today different. Knowing what happened to Judas, walk away different. Choose to be reconciled. I pray that someday there is no contention whatsoever about the way that I lived my life and where I went when I died. It, it, it pains me just to even know it, that, that people are contending about this with Judas. The fact that you even have to question it should bother us. And if it was you, it should bother you. It should be clear where your life is and who you live for. And when you die, I pray that we will not have to argue about whether or not you went to heaven. I want it to be clear. I want it to be Peter. That's who I choose. So applying this, I'm just going to loop back to last Sunday. Tim had some great ideas about how to start off her year. Yes, I'm going to take advantage of the new year. It's my right to do so as a pastor. What are you going to do different this year to protect yourself, to reconcile yourself? How is your life going to be different? Because I can guarantee you, if you're made of the same stuff I am, your life isn't perfect yet. So what will look different? If you've already made some sort of New Year's resolution, just so you know, if you've already ended that resolution, it's only the 3rd of January. It's not long enough. Tim had some great ideas. Pick 30 days and discipline yourself. Pick something. Memorize scripture. Meditate. Clear your mind. Be with good, accountable community. Read scripture. Do the things given to us in scripture to prepare yourself for the coming year. Take 30 days. Do it consistently. Do it well. And I promise you, God will bless that. He will honor that. New Year's resolutions are not something that have to just be a secular ideal. Reviewing our life and making it different is a very godly thing because, as David said, Jesus cares about new things. He wants us to be new. He wants us to be reconciled. He wants us to be improved. And he wants us to have confidence that every step we take in this life is one closer and closer to a close personal relationship with him where we do not have to worry about our salvation. I would encourage you in this new year to to take me up on that challenge, to take up Tim on that challenge and do something different. It's not cliche. Well, maybe it is cliche, but it works. That's why it's cliche is because it actually makes a difference.
but it's okay to do. And I would encourage you to do it. Pick one thing. Don't pick ten things. That always ends badly. Okay, if you pick ten things, I'm sure the other th- one of the things stopped already yesterday. So don't pick ten things. Pick one thing. And focus on abiding in Christ in a new way this coming year. And make a choice to be a Peter and not a Judas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I... I know I have confidence in my spirit that no matter how much I struggle, no matter how much we struggle, that, Lord, you will always put yourself at the center if we'll simply just open our eyes and walk towards you. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. On our own, we will be Judas. On our own, we will betray you without reconciliation. But, Lord, we know that in your spirit, faithful to who you are, giving everything to you because you have paid everything for us, Lord, that we can be Peter, that we can learn and be reconciled. Lord, I pray that you continue to work with us and and to help us in areas that we fear, in areas that we struggle with, and in faith that we're not quite sure of sometimes. I pray that we as a body of believers would come before you honest about how we feel, honest about our beliefs, so that we can be made new and reconciled because of what you have done in our lives. So, Lord, we commit the rest of this worship to you. Lord, may may it be an offering, a sacrificial offering to you. May it glorify you that we would remove our humility, that we would serve, that we would worship together. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.